Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Philippians chapter 4. You know, there are um, some verses in the Bible that we know very well. And we love to quote them and we love to say them uh, when we're, uh, especially in times of difficulty and crisis, or we like to share them with other people and minister to them. And they're kind of our go-to verses because they give us strength and because they provide some degree of comfort, uh, maybe when we're not feeling too much of, of either one. And they become so familiar to us and we're so used to saying them and thinking them and praying them that uh, it can easy, be easy for them to kind of become a little bit ritualistic. We kind of stop thinking about what the verse is actually saying, even though we know what it says. And we start to just kind of um, stop hearing everything the Holy Spirit wants to teach us through it. And that's important to keep a check on. It's important that we, that we monitor that because every time we study, the Holy Spirit has a fresh word for us. And every time we study, there is a fresh application that He wants to give us based on that moment. So especially when a verse is very, very familiar or when it is... Um, something that we know well, we want to make sure that we really open our spiritual ears and that we hear what the Holy Spirit is teaching us. It may be a new understanding of a word that we never kind of saw before, or maybe uh, He wants our theology to deepen or be strengthened in some way, or, or maybe there's a, an application there that we haven't related to before because every time we've studied it, we haven't been in the circumstance we're in now. So there's something that, that He wants to teach us through that. I had that experience the other day uh, with the two verses that we're going to study this morning in Philippians chapter 4. And I figured out this week that I have probably quoted these verses to myself at least 2,000 times over the last 30 years. Because I calculated at least once a week, probably a little bit more, uh, for the last 30 years would be, uh, I would say, a conservative estimate. So let's just say, for the sake of grins, that it's 2,000 times that I've quoted this verse to myself over the last 30 years. Now, you would think at that point that I would have a pretty good understanding of what it says, right? That, would that be fair? You guys there? All right. Be fair. 2,000 times, you probably have a pretty decent understanding of what it says. And yet, as I was praying, and I started to quote this verse again, the Spirit kind of stopped me, and, you know, not being mystical here, but I heard Him say to me, do you really hear what you're saying? Do you really understand? Are you really thinking through what I have written to you and what I'm giving you this morning as you think through this verse? Do you really get it? And as much as the verses are very familiar to me and as much as I've studied them over and over, I kind of realized that I had started to take them a little bit for granted. I wasn't really deeply thinking about the implication of the words and how that needed to affect and change my heart and mine. Now, these two verses, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, are not easy to live. In fact, if we had a list of the top 10 most difficult verses to practically obey, I, I would put these two in the top 10 in terms of degree of difficulty. How do we obey this? How do we do this? Now, when we look at them, if we just say them without really believing what they're saying, then there's no power. There's no imputation of power onto our lives if these are just words 
and we don't really believe them, if we just quote them and we don't really trust that they're true and that we can live this way, then there's really a lack of understanding of what God can do to help us and how sufficient he is for our lives. So as I tried to think about a name for this uh, message this morning, I came up with, you can do it. Because that's the encouragement this morning. The Holy Spirit is telling us this morning, by his conviction and by his teaching to us through these two verses, that we can live this way. That every believer, every person who trusts Christ, every person who has the Holy Spirit in their lives indwelling them, can live this way. Now, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for our correction and our training in righteousness. So what does that mean? It means these verses apply to our lives every bit as much as whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Every verse in Scripture applies. Every verse in Scripture has teaching for us. So if you and I have trust in Christ, if God has transformed our lives, if he has filled us with his spirit, we need to know right off the bat, and we've got to understand this, that you and I can live by Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Now remember that as we read. Remember that as we study, because it has awesome power for our lives. Look at these two verses. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I love going down to Lake Michigan. It's one of my favorite things about living here. I love uh, seeing all the different looks that Lake Michigan has. Seeing the different colors of the water, sometimes it's very incredibly beautiful, sometimes it's very gray, other times it's kind of white. It, it has a lot of different looks. And depending on the time of day or the season or the weather, it, it, it can be very different. I'm a very aesthetic person, so I really like color and I really like clouds and I like seeing them reflect in the water and, and all that kind of weird stuff. Uh, especially when it's stormy, I love to go down to the lake and watch what's going on. We live pretty close to the Hobnob, uh, so a lot of times we'll go down there and we'll look at the water or we'll go down and watch the moon rise if it's full or if there's a meteor shower, we used to go down and lay on the, on the grass and watch that. But when I drove down there Friday morning, I went down there to get some perspective. Now, we all need perspective, don't we? We all need a better understanding of how life really works because my tendency will be to focus on my problems and on the stress of my life, which is pretty insignificant compared to what some people are going through in the, uh, this morning. 234 Nigerian girls kidnapped from their boarding school this week by Islamist militants who want to either make them their wives, even though they're 16 to 18, or put them into the sex trade or, or somehow uh, manipulate them in some way. That, that's what people are dealing with in Nigeria this morning, morning, not knowing where their teenage daughters are. So I look at that and I kind of say, well, my problems aren't on that level. And yet sometimes problems still kind of engulf us and they start to, to affect our lives. So uh, a lot of times when I do that, I drive down to the lake because I love the lake. Its vastness reminds me of the awesomeness of God and kind of the smallness of my problems. Now, when I went down there Friday... I thought, well, I just need to, to get some peace before the Lord. i got a lot of things in my mind, a lot of things 
going on, and, and, and I just I need to hear from the Lord. When I got there, just planning to drop by, I saw something I had never seen before. I've lived here for eight years. I lived in Illinois for 11 years combined with college. And so in 19 years, I've never seen Lake Michigan look like this. I don't know if you saw it. The water was absolutely, completely still. The flow of any tide, and you often can see the tide in the, in the lake, but it, but it was completely imperceptible. There were no waves at all. I mean, there was no movement. The ducks were sitting out there in the middle of the water, just kind of bobbing up and down, and then they'd disappear into the water, and I'd watch, and they'd, I guess, get a fish, or I don't know if they're, what they're doing underneath there, and, and then they'd come back up. But, but there was no movement whatsoever. And the thing I love most about going out of the lake is hearing the, the crashing of the water on the waves on the rocks, right? You'll be able to hear that, that kind of ambient sound uh, that people copy to be able to sleep at night. So I like to go out and the tiger's out and again. Well, well there, was, there was none of that whatsoever. It was completely missing. Just a couple birds singing because they were happy it wasn't snowing. And I looked at that and I listened and I just sat there and I thought, this... This is a contrast to the churning that's in my mind right now. Now, sometimes the best spiritual lessons are the ones that are unexpected, right? Sometimes they're the ones that we don't anticipate. I didn't know as I drove down to the lake that this humongous body of water would be as calm as a pond on a hot summer day in the south. I mean, it was just still. And I compared it to what was going on in my heart and mind, and I quickly said to the Lord, Lord, I want my life to be like that. Now, how many would like their life to be calm like that this morning? How many would like there to be no stress, no anxiety, no problems, no situations that are causing us any kind of ugh, right? You know what ugh is? We love that, right? But that's not realistic. But these verses here aren't talking about not having any problems or stress. They're talking about how we deal with the problems and stress. Because remember, Paul's situation in Philippians 4 was nothing short of horrible. He's in jail in stocks. He's awaiting a certain execution. He's in poor health. He probably can't see very well anymore. He knows his active ministry of traveling around the churches. It's done. He's been separated from other believers. He's lacking spiritual fellowship. He doesn't have anything to encourage him. He's been abandoned by people that were close to him. He can't get anybody to visit him. He's just rotting away in a cell waiting to die. Not much to get up for in the morning. And yet he's still ministering. He's evangelizing the prison guards so effectively that they had to shorten the guards' shifts so that they would not be proselytized because the guards were starting to become open to the gospel. So the Romans said, well, we gotta, we got to mix it up a little bit quicker because the longer he has with them, the more he talks and the more the guards are listening. And he's writing to churches and he's writing to friends and he's saying, the Lord's good. Be faithful to the Lord. Come on, stay with it now. And he's interceding for believers. He's praying for them. He's ministering to people constantly, again and again. There's nothing that that is passive. There's nothing self-pitying about what he's doing. 
So he can actually speak, look at the verses, with authority and integrity when the Spirit inspires him to say, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Now there are three phrases there that tell us what to do, and there are two phrases that tell us what the Lord does in response. And I want you to encourage you to take some notes this morning, write some things down. Don't just sit and look, interact with the text a little bit because you're going to need this to speak, and I am too. All right? Three phrases tell us what to do. Two phrases tell us what the Lord does. But before we take each one apart, just for a couple minutes, and before we see how they apply to our lives, we need to understand the problem we're trying to solve. Because if we're told to do something, and we're told the Lord will do something, then we have to understand why we're being told to do things. And we have to understand what the problem is. All five phrases are in response to the first command, which is, be anxious for nothing. Now, the word anxious is very interesting in the Greek language. It has two meanings. The first one is what we would expect. To be anxious is to be troubled by the cares of life. Okay, we all know that, right? That, that we're just kind of, oh, i got so much stuff going on and I'm stressed out and I'm worried and I'm and whatever, whatever. So, that, so that's the meaning we would expect. Anxious is to be troubled by cares. But the second meaning is more revealing. The second meaning is to seek to promote one's interests. So what is he saying? He's saying not only should we not be concerned and disturbed and overly stressed out by the daily problems that life brings, but we're also being taught we should not be selfish or caught up in advancing ourselves or what we want. Now, each of those is an important distinction because anxiety excuse me, springs from one of four areas. Anxiety springs from one of four areas, and they're both covered in those definitions. The first reason is we become anxious because we feel fear. We become anxious because we feel fear, especially about something that's unknown or uncertain. So anxiety springs from fear. Second, anxiety brings from a, uh, springs from a lack of control. Whether we don't have control or control's been taken away or we feel out of control, wh- whatever the case may be, when there's not a feeling of ourselves being in control, we get anxious. Third thing is we become anxious when we don't get what we want. Our pride, our desires become irritated and frustrated because we want something and it's not happening and we become kind of uptight. And then the fourth reason we become anxious is that the timing of something is different than we expected or hoped. And when the timing is not right in our thinking, we become impatient and we become worried. Now, knowing that, look back at the verse. Because the Spirit says to believers, be anxious for, tell me the next word out loud, nothing. Now, based on those two definitions and the reasons for our anxiety, it's kind of hard to believe that we can actually live that way, isn't it? Be anxious for nothing. The word nothing means nothing. I know, it's a deep Greek meaning, right? You too can be a Greek scholar. Be anxious for nothing. Now, The Lord wouldn't say that if we couldn't do it. 
And this is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a try your best. It's not a, if you get around to it, work on this a little bit, make some progress and see how you're doing and kind of grow into No, this is a command of the Holy Spirit, and we are assured throughout the passage that God is sufficient. So we can do this by His power. How? Go back a page to chapter 2, because everything stems from chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing. Again, there's that word that means nothing. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Now, verses 3 and 4 have the exact same emphasis as chapter 4, verse 6, when Paul says, don't be anxious. It's the same thought. Do nothing in terms of anxiety that is self-focused, but be humble and care first about what other other people need. And then he says, look at the example of Jesus. Look at what Jesus did. He acted as a bondservant. We've seen that term many times before. Someone that willingly gave themselves for life for the purpose of the master. So he acted as a bondservant. He laid aside his rights as God in flesh. And he offered us forgiveness and redemption. Because of that, he then says, verse 3, verse 4, and especially verse 5, he says, our mindset must be to copy Christ. And at all times to maintain humility, selflessness, and complete submission and reliance on God. In other words, exactly the opposite of what drives us to be anxious. Instead of fear, trust. Instead of control, submission. Instead of what we want, selflessness. Instead of impatience, humility. Now there is no way There is no way our troubled minds will be calmed. There is no way our self-promotion will be pushed down without having the mind of Christ. Anxiety will absolutely overrun us unless we're like the Lord. And using some pictures of the lake, if you guys can work on the, uh, put those up for a minute. Let me show you what our lives will look like. Our life will look like that. Churning waves back and forth, the ebb and flow, the the complete turmoil of our hearts. The next one, please. We'll be crashing. We'll We'll be just not knowing what we can do because there's no calmness. There's no peace. There's no sense of the presence of God because we're so stirred up. Next one, please. And then we'll see storms come in. And as the storms come in, we're not going to really know what to do. And we're going to be so focused on the storm that we're not going to see God's sufficiency. Next one. And then, this was about a year ago, then we're going to get all kinds of mess and all kinds of turmoil and all kinds of churning that's going on. Again, this is not what the Bible tells us to do. It's not what the Bible tells us how we should live. It says, be anxious for nothing. But in many of our lives, it looks like that this morning. Next one. As that happens, we start to get cold. I don't miss that, do you? (laughs) 
I don't don't miss that at all. That's beautiful, but I don't miss it. But then, as we stop focusing on the Lord, we start to get cold. We start to get hard-hearted. These are big mounds of snow. And we start to get distant from the Lord, and we stop obeying the command of Philippians 4, 6, and 7, instead of this. Look at the last slide. That's the picture I took on Friday. Completely calm. Completely placid. No churning, no waves, no storms, no anxiety, no fear. The Bible says you can live like that. I can live like that. Because we have the Holy Spirit and because the Holy Spirit is sufficient. So what does he instruct us to do? Let's walk through it and we'll pray. Again, these words are going to be familiar. Go back to chapter 4. This is when you want to start to write some things down because... As I found on Friday, he wants us to see these words very, very clearly. And each part is essential, okay? Three commands, two things he'll say he can do. First of all, we are told that the immediate response to anxiety is prayer. Now, there's more, but stop right there. We need to be careful not to dismiss that or gloss over it. The first, best, and unquestioned response to anxiety is prayer. When our hearts and minds are troubled and they're churning, we should pray. When, when we feel disturbed, we should pray. When we're inclined to, to promote our own interests, either in our minds or, or to others, we should pray. When we're desperate, when we need to beg the Lord for help, that's the meaning of the word supplication here in verse 6. When we're there, we should pray. But he says not just in those times. Pray in every situation. There's no substitute. There's no better option. We shouldn't even entertain any other options. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not have this area of my life mastered. And if we could just develop this one discipline, if this could be our first and only and best response to everything, listen now, our lives would be radically different. We would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. We would have more peace. We'd have a better ministry to others. So if those things are lacking in our lives, he's saying, you know why. It's not because of your circumstances, and it's not because I'm not faithful. It is because you have not used the resource that I have given you to be in constant, uninterrupted communication with me, which is sad because he is always available, and he's always listening, and he's always ready to act. He says, pray without ceasing. Does that describe your life? Does it describe my life? It is the cure for anxiety. Listen now, but how often do we neglect it? And we try to find another option. Second, look at it. He says, we're told to pray with thanksgiving. Now, this is the one that the Spirit really impressed upon my heart Friday morning as I looked at the lake because I was telling the Lord, actually, I was, I was sharing my problems with the Lord. I was sharing my stress with Him. And I was saying, Lord, here's this and this and this and this, and I'm looking at that incredibly calm water, and I'm saying, oh, I wish my life was calm like that, but Lord, I've got all this and this and this. And, and again, I heard Him speak to me and say, what have you thanked me for recently? And the conviction was very, very strong. And I immediately stopped listing all of my issues. I think the Lord sometimes kind of gets weary of the inequity of our prayers, right? The the inequality of focus. 
And I just started to thank him and praise him for his goodness and his grace and his faithfulness all over my life. And you know what happened? Instantly the stress subsided. And I thought of Psalm 4610, which we mostly know as be still and know that I'm God, but the, the meaning of the word still there is to cease striving. In other words, quit fighting and telling all the issues that you think I can't solve and just calm down and know that I am God. Either I'm God or I'm not. If I'm not God, stop praying to me. And if I am God, then trust me. But quit waffling in the middle. Am I God or not? If I'm God, trust me. If I'm God, call on me. If I'm God, seek me. If I'm God, quit striving against me and just know that I'm God. That's the only way that we can be thankful to the Lord is when we understand that. And I got convicted. When was the last time when I prayed that all I did was just thank the Lord? It was the last time you prayed 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and you said, all I'm going to do today is praise the Lord. I'm not going to offer one request. I'm not going to tell him about one problem. I am just going to praise him. How different would our prayer life be if we did that? Why is it important? Because thankfulness dissipates self-centeredness and self-pity. And it refocuses our hearts to trust him instead of striving against him. Thanks, thank, thankfulness really is the key to eliminating anxiety. So when you're anxious, when you're churning, when there are waves, thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Now you say, all right, Paul, that's, that's nice in theory. I want to believe that. But, but what's my guarantee? How can I be sure that when I call on the Lord and trust him, that he will be sufficient for what I need? Well, look at the third command at the end of verse 6. Be anxious for nothing and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's part two. Part three, let your requests be made known to God. Now stop and think about that for a second. What's he telling us? He's telling us, tell me your problems. Okay, well, that's obvious. I'm praying, I'm telling. No, listen. He's saying, tell me your problems. Your prayers, your requests, your anxiety, your fear, your, 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 your needs. It's not an inconvenience for me. I want to hear it. And when you praise me and you come to me and you trust me and you offer that prayer, it is a sweet aroma to me. I'm going to keep it in bowls in heaven and I'm going to love it when Rhodes prays. I love it when he calls on my name. I love it when he trusts me. I love it when that Harbor Rock church gets together and they pray and they praise me and they offer thanksgiving to me. That's like the sweetest smell I can smell. So you say, well, why? why? Why would the God of all creation care about my little prayers? let alone act. I mean, doesn't he have bigger problems? Doesn't he have other stuff that he needs to deal with today other than my problems? Well, here's the answer to why God cares about it. It's because he loves us. It's because he loves us. Jesus is acquainted with our griefs. 
He knows what we go through, and He is here to minister to us. His Spirit ministers and guides and helps and comforts and directs and assures. Why? Because God loves us. And because God loves us, He cares intimately about what's going on. Now that would be enough. But He says, I've got two more blessings for you. Let's finish with this. He says, when you release your anxiety and you pray with full trust and with full thanksgiving, look at verse 7 now. Here are my two promises. I will give you peace that surpasses your comprehension. Now, the meaning of the word there is that it is superior to anything we can rationalize or even understand. So when we release the anxiety, we pray to the Lord, we give Him our full trust, we we give Him thanksgiving. He says, I will give you peace that is so superior to anything you can comprehend or understand or rationalize or explain that you will just do nothing but praise Me. And the reason this peace is so wonderful is it's it's from the Lord and not from Me. I can't manufacture this, can you? Can you manufacture peace today that passes all understanding? If you can, you should come up here and tell us. This is from the Lord. And because it's from the Lord, it is sufficient. This is the answer to our anxiety. And it's such an extreme opposite to the emotional turmoil that we can create in our minds that when we read that verse, we should say, I crave that peace. I crave that. I want that in my life. But he says, I'm not done yet. Because there's a second benefit. Look at it. It guards your heart and mind. Now, a lot of versions have the word fill. But the real meaning of the word is guard. And it's an awesome concept. It's the Greek word that means to protect by a military guard, either to prevent hostile invasion or to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from flight. In other words, the peace the Lord gives us not only secures us from outside attack, it encourages encourages us, don't run away and try to find another option. I'm anxious, I'm fearful, I'm full of myself, I'm stressed out, I'm going nuts. And God says, if you'll call on me and you'll be thankful and you'll trust me, I'll fill you with a peace that you can't even explain and it's going to guard you so you're not only protected from the outside, but you don't run from me because I'm your only and best option. And here's how I'm going to know, here's how you're going to know that I'm doing the work. Look at the last phrase. Your guard, your hearts and minds in who? Tell me. Tell me. Come on, say it with confidence. Christ Jesus. Not your friends, not your church, not your workplace. Here's how I'm going to guard your heart and mind. In Christ, the one who keeps you secure, the one who bought you with the price of his own blood, the one who calls you his children, he's the one that's doing the guarding. So if you're stressed and you can't handle it, Trust in me, and I'll guard you, and I'll protect you, and I'll give you peace. Now, let's draw this to a close. That may sound wonderful and desirable. But maybe to you, you say, it's just not really reasonable. And maybe you're thinking, Paul, that's a nice concept, but let's be realistic. My life doesn't work that way. I've prayed. 
but the Lord hasn't given me that kind of peace. And my life doesn't look like that last picture of the lake. It looks like any of the other ones. But, but I, I'm not there. But let me tell you this morning, if you believe in the Lord and you trust Him for your salvation, then His Spirit has a message for you and for me. You and I can live this way. And we can have this peace. But it starts with having the mindset that Christ exemplified. Instead of our own desires and our own sufficiency, we're to yield ourselves fully to the Lord and completely trust Him to be sufficient. And He is. How many times has the Lord provided what you need? How many times has the Lord proven Himself to be faithful? How many times has God given you peace and security when you had none? Come on, the Lord's good, isn't He? He keeps His word. He is faithful. We can't ever look at it and go, well, God failed me there. God wasn't wasn't present. I called and He was nowhere to be found. No, He is always near. How do I know? Because if you're a believer, He has His Spirit inside of you. His Spirit is in us. And it's time for us to live by His Spirit. Let's close our eyes. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what part of this study impacted you, but if your life doesn't look like that last picture, like that lake, then it's time for you and I to go before the Lord and get that right. God did not create us. He did not give us the Bible. He did not send Christ to die and rise again and save us. He did not give us His Holy Spirit so that we would be churning and anxious and fearful and selfish. He did all those things so we would be conformed to the image of His Son and that our lives while full of turmoil and stress, would be so settled in Him. I don't know what's going on in your life this morning. I only know what's going on in mine. But if that is you and you're not settled this morning, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or come forward or anything like that. Just between you and the Lord. The Lord knows your heart right now. Just between you and the Lord. Confess that to Him. Lord, I'm full of anxiety. I'm full of fear. I say I've prayed, but I haven't really given it to You. Lord, my life is in Your hands. You're you're faithful. You're sufficient. You never fail me. I need to trust in that this morning. Lord, I haven't been. I pray the Holy Spirit will challenge each of us this morning because this is for every one of us. There's not one person that's exempt. Lord, we ask you to minister to us and help us because this is an issue in our lives. This is something every one of us wrestles with and struggles with 
and fights. But Lord, we know you're faithful and we know you're sufficient. And we pray you would help us and that you would strengthen us and you would fill us with peace that passes all comprehension. And that you'd guard our hearts and minds, not only against outside attack, but against fleeing. Lord, you're faithful and you're good. And we love you this morning. Thank you for this word from your spirit, Lord. Thank you that you have given us this word and assured us that we can live this way. Now, Lord, we ask you to help us that we would live this way. We pray this in Jesus' name.